So very few people get my attention on LinkedIn. There's a there's a lot of the same stuff going on there, but there are there are a couple that really intrigue me when it comes to marketing. And one of those people was Chris Walker, who's the CEO of Refine Labs in Boston, Mass. And his content is pretty deep on marketing. It's it's obvious that he has a deep deep uh, experience and, and just talent level when it comes to that. And obviously his new company's thriving. Uh, all this took place because he actually started out in marketing in his young career by just observing executives and CEOs and how they made decisions. This has stuck with him all the way through. So when he got fired from his last job and then when he couldn't get hired and he started his own business and they did 2 million in recurring revenue over the last year, it's all because he gets it. And because he gets it, Refine Labs has been able to thrive and it looks like they're gonna have a very great long road ahead of them because he is in it with patience and the mindset of a journeyman who is willing to stick to the basics to succeed. Listen to how Chris talks about marketing and what you actually need to do in order to have longevity and success. And don't forget that this episode is brought to you by Rich Cardona Media, where we film, edit, and distribute LinkedIn content for you. We film over Zoom or in person. We capture that footage. We edit that footage. We title that footage. We distribute that footage. We provide copy at an extra charge, all that good stuff so you have time to do all the other things that you want to do i don't want you to learn all the ins and outs and and what you have to do in order to succeed on linkedin or other social media platforms you don't have the time i'm an entrepreneur i completely get it so we got you covered hit us up at rich at richcardonamedia.com or eliza e-l-i-z-a at richcardonamedia.com if you have any questions we can answer for you Let's get into the show. So Chris, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And obviously, thanks for being here. Yeah, Rich, uh, really happy to be here. I um, have been working in B2B companies my whole career. And um, throughout that period, the first nine years of my career, I honestly feel like as I reflect on it, I just studied. I watched, I observed, I saw how executives made decisions. I tried to reverse engineer why they were doing certain things. I tried, I started to look at what would happen after they made those decisions and how they were measuring them and what, what the outcome was and what the alternatives were and how things were decided. Um, and when I, uh, after I looked at all those things, I found some core pieces that I thought were broken. And during the time since I got out of college until now, a lot of things have changed as well. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like because of the time that I entered into the professional world, um, these things were already in the mix. I was accustomed to them. The executives that were working in the companies weren't. They are. They were further away from what how how things were changing in the customers' minds. And so, um, yeah, I just started to to hack away at what I would recommend doing differently. I would yeah. I would went out and talk to customers. Yeah. I understood what they were doing. I watched when they were walking out of the meeting, what they did and they went on their phone and they looked at Instagram or when they were on a break and they were watching YouTube. And so, um, and then I tried to figure out how, instead of cold calling someone, how else we might be able to get their attention. And so I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir now I know, but yeah, that's, uh, that's essentially kind of how I got here. 
So when you were a young marketer, so to speak, um, you know, what was your role? And then what were you filtering in as you observed these executives to kind of help you grow professionally? Yeah. So one, one thing that I think is really interesting about my background that I think a lot of marketers don't have is that I started my career in product management, mainly in upstream product management. And so most marketers will study comms or something like that and then go right into communications, have no foundation of customer research, how products are built and that process, um, you know, competitive analysis and strategy and positioning and differentiation and all those different things and pricing strategy, all of those pieces uh, alongside with full accountability to a P&L of an $8 million business line. And so you're like, in, in that case, you're the CEO of that, that business unit. Yes. Um, and from that time on, no matter where I went in my career from there, which eventually became demand gen comms, a lot of downstream stuff, I thought about everything as if I was the CEO, not that I was the marketer. And so I started to look at how, what is going on with product? What is going on with sales? What is our customer acquisition cost? What are all these different things? Um, which then kind of like, I think propelled me to elevate in my career rather quickly because I was always playing, I was always leveling up mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah. And then I, and then I started to study and when I put my, the fictitious CEO hat on when I was a demand gen manager or a brand manager, whatever you want to call it. Um, the things that I saw is like our sales reps are going to a hundred meetings and we're only winning one. Why is that? Why is that happening? Why is that okay in this situation? We're paying all these sales reps, you know, high high one hundreds at at minimum salary to drive across the state to have a meeting with someone that doesn't want to buy, and we're going to celebrate that we had the meeting, not that they actually became a customer. Yeah. Um, and so I started to look at those things, and I was like, this just doesn't. And then I went to the meetings, and I rode along with the sales reps, and I sat in the meeting and I watched what happened. And I could tell that the person that we were talking to was not receptive to the information that was being delivered. They were not ready to buy. They were not open to it. And so then I start to figure out like, what would we need to do before we had that meeting for somebody to want to talk to us, to want to learn that information. And what I found is that when you push someone into a sales conversation too early, they're not receptive to anything that you're saying. It's not the place to do the education. Yes. The education should be done up front. And then I started to figure out, okay. And then I went into hospitals and I saw that people were on YouTube and Instagram and all those different things. Light bulb went off, started advertising there, started pushing at the beginning. It was this clinical trial came out. The, here's a, here's a story about a patient that went on the product. Here is, you know, we released this, this feature, this thing came out, whatever it was mm -hmm. as an education medium. And then as we started doing that, magically more people were like, Hey, would be really be interested to uh, have your sales rep, you know, come into our hospital and present this to us. And, that's I, the thing that, and then when you start seeing that come through in more volume and you're like, okay, like this seems to be working. But then after, as you continue to watch, what is the difference between the people where we're going out there? We basically force the meeting on them. Yes. How often do those people become customers versus the ones that ask us to come and talk to them? And then what are the differences and how does, how does that change how you scale a business? Um, that is how I've kind of, I can go into a lot more depth, but that's how I coined the term revenue engine optimization. Yes. A lot of companies use outbound in a very inefficient, inefficient manner and scale that way, which gets more and more inefficient as it scales. Let's stop right there. Can, yeah. can you talk to me about that? Cause that's huge. And I know that to be true from my very limited experience, but tell me some of the, the 
kind of cardinal sins in outbound marketing that people choose to ignore because there's still money behind it. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's really outbound sales. Um, I, I don't look at, uh, a lot of people look at inbound versus outbound marketing versus like whether you're paying advertising or whether they're coming to you. That is not how I look at it in marketing. The way that I think about marketing is from the buyer's perspective. Mm -hmm. And so is the buyer coming to us, raising their hand saying, I want to buy something or are we going to them and saying, Hey, you should do this. Right. And that's, that's really the core difference. I always look at it from the buyer's perspective. Um, and so some of the, uh, if we look at it from the outbound sales lens, I think it's just when it really comes down to it, it's not being aligned with how buyers want to buy. Mm -hmm. Doing things that are in the company's best interest. I would love to cold call you so, and force you into a meeting so that I can get paid on the meeting and then our rep might be able to close. That's very seller centric. Yes. I will interrupt your day. I get, if it happens to me five times a day, I'm sure it happens to you as well. Um, <laughs> Or I would love to, you know, do as something as easy, like write down an email and send it to a million people. That would be a lot easier than writing a thoughtful email to someone. Um, and so I think that is like the process that's starting to get built, which is built for seller efficiency, not for buyer experience. Yes. Um, some of the things that you'll notice um, when you do marketing well is if you compare like an outbound sales channel to a marketing model that's driving hand raisers is that the win rates of the inbound hand raisers will be significantly higher. Mm -hmm. um, the sales cycles will be significantly shorter. It makes sense. Um, and then if you're able to have that volume increase while still maintaining those type of metrics through effective communication with a the market, then um, you can change how you scale your business. You actually yeah. become a far more marketing and brand heavy than sales heavy. And a lot of companies are noticing, you see, um, you see companies with product-led growth, like a freemium, get into the product type of thing. Companies are, are starting to adjust to the fact that sales-led may not be the way to go anymore. Correct, I, I completely agree. And it's no knock on sales, by the way, just to, just to, to kind of interject there, because I wanted to clarify this, is like, it's no knock on sales. It's, an, it's just a, a necessary adjustment to how buyers want to buy Talk to me as um, a veteran who's retiring or, or someone who served four years and is getting out and they have uh, money that's ready to go and they are ready to be in charge of their own life, whether it's service-based, product-based, whatever it may be. You were mentioning upstream and downstream and all these different facets, mm -hmm. but at the fundamental level, I am the ops, I am the marketing team, and I am the sales team. How can I narrow the focus to make sure that I am I'm able to diligently just carry out some of the normal aspects of entrepreneurship that I need to do, but also mm -hmm. make sure that I'm visible in a way that is quote unquote budget friendly? Like how do I even start or how do I know the signals, I guess is even a better question that I need to start hiring. Yeah, I think this is a really important nuance at a high level when you think about it, which is that that any advice that's given on LinkedIn or on this podcast or anywhere is all contextual. And so if you don't add the context, if you don't understand what the person is saying, what context that's saying from, who they're saying it to, you need to adjust whether or not it actually is relevant to you. So a lot of the advice that I give is for fast growing venture funded SaaS software companies. Yep. And that advice does, does not translate to the three person service organization. Right. Um, and so I think, uh, I think there's a lot of people that take advice from people that, and the people that are giving the advice, it might work for the $4 billion company 
but it will not work for your $20 million organization. And so um, that's just a little, uh, a little note that I wanted to get in there. So back to, you know, let's just say less than five person kind of like shop, what are we going to do to be visible? I think the first step is to figure out where your buyers are and where there's a lot of potential attention. And so I'll give you a very black and white, clear example. Um, if you compare like when I was starting this up, the first channel that I went to was Instagram. Hmm. Why did you do I, that? Um, because I thought that it was the, the space to go. Mm-hmm. And if you think about Instagram is a very mature platform. I'm putting business content with not a lot of organic reach on it. Yes. And, it and it's very hard to break through. And so I had, I made an adjustment at that point and I moved to LinkedIn, which is perfectly suited for what I do. (laughs) Business content in a new medium with a ton of organic reach. Um, it's so it just, it, it really was the aligning of stars at that point for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's first about picking where you're going to produce the information. There's a lot of different options. I right now, my cadence is, is, long form podcasts like this, or we do a weekly live Q and a or whatever. I like setting a pillar that forces you to do it on a recurring basis. Mm-hmm. And so if it's up to me to, so like we have Tuesday evenings at seven thirty. it's on the calendar in perpetuity until we decide not to. And so that is a, it's a requirement for me to be there. I owe it to the 50 people that are going to show up every Tuesday to go and do it, which is great because it gives me accountability and it forces me to create content, which is then going to flow down into LinkedIn. Of so a lot of business owners are going to push this aside and say it's the least important thing. It is the most important thing. If you are the three-person organization and you're not doing this, you are going to live off of referrals and word of mouth, which is going to be a slow game. And so when I, this is like July of last year, and we had three customers, it was a decision that I made is if we do not break through the idea that we only work with people that either have no have worked with in the past or a word of mouth referral that is entirely outside of our control, how are we going to be able to control our own acquisition? Hmm. How are we going to control our own view in the market? And then essentially just started taking my own advice. Like I tell companies to do these things. And then I, there's a weird switch that went off in my head, um, which, which was I kept telling people to do certain things and they wouldn't do them. And then I said, what if, and so I, I, a lot of the stuff that I did, I didn't do it to, to, I didn't do it to have what's happening right now, which is a huge marketing engine. Mm-hmm. I had it to show people what good looks like. Mm-hmm. That was the, int- that was the original intention. I'm going to, I told companies to do an in a uh, field marketing event. That's not driven on leads that has high production video, fireside chat, Q and a, and package that video up, chop it up, and do that. And I did two of them with the idea of saying here, this is what you should do. And then it turned out to be a very, very fruitful content model. As a startup, what is the risk of not necessarily becoming great at the basics, but still trying to scale to have a little bit more of a cushion, so to speak, in terms of money? I think the, the, the actual right answer to this question is to first figure out what you want. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I made the commitment that I wanted to build a business with that had a lot of people and gave people good career opportunities and did good work and hopefully leave a mark on the B2B marketing landscape. That was kind of like w- when I made that commitment, my behaviors changed. I love my, that. Yeah. And so, and, and so when, when that happens, so the first thing for people listening to this is what, what do you want? Do you want to, would you be most happy uh, editing videos and making a hundred grand a year? Because that's awesome. 
and then and working maybe you could probably get that salary and stuff done at four hours a day and then do whatever you want for the rest of the day that'd be awesome a lot of people would be really happy doing that um a lot of people would that are in that shoe are there and think that they need to build a 10 person company and then become when they have three employees realize that they they don't like managing people and then they become unhappy and they would have been really happy doing that so like i think there's a lot of different iterations taking a hard look about um about what you want and then also as you go through it continuously reevaluating whether or not that's right or whether or not something so as i get through as i get through into this i realize that the core thing that i love to do is is marketing strategy and innovation those are the things that get me really excited um and so i'm starting to look for uh, a partner that will come in and help package and scale the actual organization that we have because it's not it's not what i love to do and it's not what I'm particularly awesome at. And I'm okay admitting that because it gives me a lot more space to do the things that I do love to do. Mm -hmm. So you made a post recently uh, that caught my attention. I was, I was in the middle of working out and I was like in, in my rest and then I was just scrolling. And then you started talking about account-based marketing uh, and then account-based sales. And this like really caught my attention because I was like, He's no, I was like, that's not true. And then I call and then you, you got to it at the end and you kind of already touched on it about education, uh, mm -hmm. you know, edu kind of, you know, the educational aspect of it all. Can you, uh, not to, to make you revisit the post entirely, but can yeah. you kind of explain your, your rationale and, and kind of talk about what you were trying to portray there? And I'd love to dig into that. What I do for my business is 100% branding and marketing. The reason I know that is because I never have the intention of selling anything. <laughs> and so, and so that is, it, it comes down to your mindset and your intent when I break these things out. And so, and a lot of marketers might find this hard to wrap their heads around, which is that you'll often get more revenue when you do things without the revenue in mind because you end up doing things that are customer focused and the right things. And when you're chasing revenue, you often do things that are short-term, short-term focused in your best interest, not in the buyer's best interest, all these different things. And so the first way, the easiest way to separate it in my mind is what is your intent? Is your intent to sell something? Because if your intent is to sell something, you can do that in the marketing channel, which is what most people do. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do. There's a lot of cases selling shoes on Instagram, mm -hmm. or there's a lot of B2B executions where it makes sense to have some type of sales activation in the mix as well. Um, and, and then the other side is brand or, or like true marketing in my view, um, which is driven on um, education, awareness, different things like that, which feel like fluffy terms to people, but create such an affinity to what you do. And so like when, like I, I declined to, um, submit an RFP today because like I, we have enough people that want to work with us. I don't need to go out and submit an RFP so you can put me in a pile with 10 other people and decide whether or not we're the right fit. It's just not what I, it's just not what I need to do. Um, and so that is the difference between the vendors that chase the RFPs are, are the ones that haven't built enough of a brand. I feel like be there when they're ready. And I have that in quotes. Be there when they're ready. Uh, can you expand on that and, and how much work actually goes into building that relationship, albeit virtually, which is what a lot of people are doing right now. And I still actually think it's favorable to do it in that manner as well. 
look, not, not everyone's looking for whatever you do right now. <laughs> it's just the truth. Um, and as much as you want to convince someone that they have a pain or try, I'm just not interested in convincing people. You know what I mean? Like, yes. um, I would much rather attract the people and educate them. And then when they would like to work with us, they work with us. I just don't, um, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm doing like a really, really good job of explaining this. Um, but let's, let's look back. So, um, I connect on LinkedIn with a CMO in last August. Okay. And then I'm just putting out content. I didn't even know that we were really connected. Just putting out content. Didn't notice that she was liking it. Didn't comment on any of it. I didn't know. And then eight months later, all of a sudden she changes jobs and she needs someone. And what happens? She calls me and we work together in four hours. And so like that is the sales process for that for another company would be 180 days. Yes. And so do you want to, would you rather be chasing someone? Would you have an employee chasing someone around to try and convince them to work with you or just have someone come to you and work with you? Just feels so much more easy. It also feels a lot more aligned. I think the core of this is that it's aligned with how people want to choose. Yes. And I I keep going back to that because people, people really, um, people think this is a marketing versus sales game or a marketing versus SDRs or however you want to chalk it up. This is about the buyer and reverse engineering what they need. If you have not been able to avert your eyes from the normal markety, salesy things that, that you mm-hmm. and I probably don't like, and you need to make that shift into more customer centric thinking, mm-hmm. how can you, what are ways you could make that shift if at all? Yeah, there's two ways. If you're a, if you're a business that is venture funded, that needs to continue to grow in order to keep raising money so you can keep losing money, the answer is it's probably not going to happen. To be honest, if you are an, uh, an entrepreneur that has one client and don't have enough um, money to live, it's probably not possible either. And so let's look at both, both sides of the equation. On the venture funded side, because of the nature of taking on money, being forced to grow so you can con- continue to raise money and continue to lose money, you must continue to grow, which therefore drives behaviors that are yes. often short-term focused. Um, which is not the position that I want to be in, which is why we don't have investors or things like that. Like if we don't ha- get a client next month, everything is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people can't say the same thing. They have a certain amount of runway. They need a certain amount of growth and blah, 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 blah. If you're the, entre- if you're the entrepreneur, you need to first get to a place where you have enough to live. And that, there's two either ways, growing your revenue or reducing your expenses <laughs> or both, whatever, whatever you need. Um, and, then just, and then once you get to that point, you become in a place where you can change your approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and when you're able to, it's, it's really, really interesting. I continue to say this. I think a lot of people, when they hear it, they don't get it. But when you think long-term, you actually get better results in the short-term too because you do the right things. That sales and marketing do not have to be opposing forces. And I think the anecdote they you were talking be. about. Yeah, and, and, but, but, but they, if I'm a they marketer, yeah. And I mean, I know Gary Vee's talked about it a million times, like a marketer celebrates the victory when this happens, but the sales reps, the one in the, in the yeah. trenches all the time. How do you, what have you seen that has enabled those two entities to just function cohesively rather than, you know, just really opposites or not even opposites, but just in their own silos? I think there are, there's so many factors to, to this, um, 
this component. I think the first one is company culture, which starts with the CEO. Mm-hmm. And so um, what will happen at this level is that often the CEO thinks about things in terms of sales, yep. not in terms of brand. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the company will prioritize short-term sales over brand activities, which will also get you sales just in a different way. <laughs> and so when, when the culture leans that way, the business starts to lean that way. And then what happens, what stems from there? Sales becomes more the more important entity in the company mm-hmm. because they have the black and white metrics. And so then what happens is the metrics for marketing become how do we support the sales team with leads, which I think is literally become this whole stem becomes the root of all of these issues, which is that sales says we need leads or actually whoever says it, right? The CMO could say it, the CEO could say it, anyone, and it's not a sales versus marketing thing. Anyone could choose that metric. You choose, we need leads and you build it around as if you had an SDR team. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when you build it, like you have an SDR team, you're planning for horrible inefficiencies between the lead and the, and the opportunity. Yes. And with that, you give a very large number to the marketing team, which is unrealistic um, (laughs) and forces them to do the wrong things in order to hit that number, which then gives sales a bunch of junk. Yes. And then the sales team says, these things are a bunch of junk. Marketing's not doing their job when it all started from the top. Mm -hmm. And so the way that you fix that, I find to be very simple, which is change marketing metrics and then figure out how to do marketing. Mm-hmm. You actually need to change the metrics before you figure it out because you can't, the right marketing cannot operate in a company that's, that needs that volume. You yes. do the wrong things. Um, so that's kind of like the way that I break it down. And the, the two groups um, operate pretty harmoniously when marketing's contributing the leads that are creating 50% of the company's revenue because it makes sales job easier, sales cycle shorter. They don't need to work as hard and go outbound to get their whole quota. They have like a small amount coming through. Um, and that's just kind of how I've, uh, that's how, I, how I've seen it work. When you uh, talk a lot in one of your hashtags on um, social is demand generation. Yep. Uh, can you kind of define what that is and, and why that is where you like to operate specifically? It's so cloudy what demand generation actually is in a B2B organization. So some people will say it's 100% cold outbound is demand gen. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider it creating demand, not, not creating leads. Not cr- so how do you communicate with the market, which then changes their perception or increases their affinity to buy, which creates demand that sales can capture. That's, what I, that's how I define it. Um, but I'm actually starting to switch up and think about pivoting to revenue marketing, which Mm -hmm. I think is what, and and the challenge with the idea of revenue marketing is if you take it directly, you end up doing a bunch of the short-term shit that we were talking about before. Yep. And so the idea of revenue marketing is, is how do you market to create revenue? But oftentimes you actually do, it's, I struggle to actually like step back and think about how far I've like, my brain has come on this one, but like you, because when you do it so directly, like, hey, buy, like a lot of people would say, hey, revenue marketing, let's send emails and say, buy our stuff. Yep. Um, and so 
Yeah, that's that's kind of like how I view demand gen. I'm kind of debating in my head whether switching that to revenue marketing is the right thing. But like, I, when it comes down to it, whatever term you call it, it's it's marketing, communication with the market, understanding the market, communicating with them effectively. Um, and that's just, that's really what it comes down to in my view right now. When it comes to leads versus demand, uh, I wanted to ask you to, to dig a little bit deeper on there. Yep. So, <laughs> so a lead versus demand, can you talk about the difference there? The lead is in demand is the outcome of good demand. <laughs> the lead in lead gen is the activity. I'm going to put a form somewhere and I'm going to drive a million people there in hopes that they fill out the form as opposed to I'm going to create demand and someone is going to decide that they are our lead. They're going to decide that they want to are interested in buying whatever we're selling. That is the core difference to me. It's it ultimately comes to, again, back to your intent. Lead gen is a sales activity. Mm -hmm. Demand is a marketing activity in the way that I defined it earlier. So when you talk about all the, 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 ever the, the non-stop transcending things in technology why do you think that you could still stick to the basics and win without without evolving with some of the tech out there because i'm doing it i mean uh, the when you the, and this is particularly pertinent for companies that are less than five million dollars and trying to grow and so when you go into the company that you know whatever let's just say one million arr SaaS company that is is trying to implement a four thousand dollar a month ABM tool, is putting Salesforce in place, is um, putting multi-touch attribution conversion rate optimization software, and they haven't spent one minute talking to their customers. This is as a mar this is especially as a marketer, um, and so I think that the drive for technology has prevented, not, not prevented, but moved people away from doing the things that are actually marketing. They spend so much time in the technology that they don't talk to customers, they don't create content, they don't distribute it effectively. And so like marketing is very basic. It's essentially like it, when you look at it from a comm stand, it's communication. I just watch, I watch a lot of, uh, a lot of people build automations that nobody uses and put, software in place with no empathy for how people actually buy things and they just look at the attribution software and but like, yeah this thing came from google what happened before that yeah right yeah. um and so yeah i would just i i would really push people like for instance for us we've generated in the past 12 months have generated well over two million dollars in recurring revenue nice. from zero with nice. very little budget no very little tech stack what did we use we had two people me and one other person a freelance video editor Nice. It was $80 an hour HubSpot for like 600 bucks a month. Um, LinkedIn free yeah. <laughs> podcast free YouTube free. And like, that's it. Like Adobe creative suite, 50 bucks a month. And so like that overall budget is quite low. And so, and so if you look at the amount of money that's being used by the $1 million ARR startup, that just raised $6 million, how much money is being used to acquire customers. And I just feel like it's being like, I feel like they're taking people's money, um, which then I think, and I posed this question, I think a lot of people would get, would, would resonate with is like, if it was your money, would you do it? Yeah. The, the easiest example for people is the trade show. If it was your $50,000 and you needed to get a return on it, 
to build that booth, would you build it? If it was dependent on your kid going to college or your, you know, your family eating the next day, would you think that you were going to get an ROI on the trade show? Would you, would you do the, whatever it is, would you run the banner ads? Would you like, would you <laughs> hire the 10 sales, that 10 salespeople and need to pay them in hopes that they return things? Those are the questions that I ask. But when people, when people have other people's money, it creates like, uh, uh, I think a lot of waste. Yes. Oh man. That is such a good point. You're mm -hmm. talking about using a lot of free resources. Do you think it's the same mentality? Meaning people are like, well, it's too, it's too cheap to do it that way. So there's gotta be, it, it probably is not going to work. I feel more comfortable spending a bunch of freaking money and seeing if it pans out. Like why is that wasteful behavior just continuous? People want things that are easy. They want to click a button and build a million dollar business. They, and so like the software, how it's marketed presents itself that way. Like I lose a lot of clients by saying, this is not going to be easy. We're going to be working. You are not just going to hire us and magically become a unicorn. None of that stuff's going to happen. I love it. We lose clients that way, but it's honest. It's the truth. They're like, so how much, how much do you think our revenue is going to grow? It's like, I have not been in your CRM. I have no idea what you're doing. We have no idea what your, how your audience is going to respond. We have no idea, barely any idea. Like, how am I going to tell you after this surface level conversation, how much your revenue is going to grow? It just makes no sense. And so people want things that are easy. So they'll buy tech because it feels easy. All I got to do is just put a million people in here and press a button and magically we'll get a million customers, which obviously it doesn't work like that. The second thing is that the free tools um, require you to be, actually be good. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And so um, it, it's like, it's a lot of work. It's being, it's, it's uh, actually having the skill and the knowledge that other people need or other people want and knowing how to communicate it that way. And so um, I think for those two core reasons, it not being easy, requiring effort and it requiring skill and knowledge of the customer that a lot of people don't have because they don't take time to understand their customers, um, I think are probably the two core reasons that people don't use the free tools and go and buy the software that makes it feel easy. Oh, most of our clients are, most of the companies we work with are VC funded and I, and it's not, that it's that that is the root of the issue it's that it it does create some of those issues when not used appropriately mm -hmm. um and so um yeah i i don't think that there's a blanket statement to say if you take vc money you do the wrong things i think that would be um misinformed and irresponsible to say that however mm -hmm. um i do think that there are a lot of companies that have raised money and use it irresponsibly when it comes to marketing when it comes to sales um mm -hmm. how do people really identify that moment where it's like, we, we need to make a decision, but you know, instead of just being hopeful that things are going to pan out a little bit better or that they should just put more money towards it. I feel like the right answer here is to be constantly reevaluating what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so like every, every time I'm in a conversation I have, it's almost like you have, you pick a direction and you move in that direction until you have data that tells you otherwise. Mm. And so it could be, I think that this messaging is going to resonate. And then I say it to six people. And if the sixth person doesn't work, I realize that I need to, I need to solve that. Whatever it is, it could be six people. Could, I think a sample size of one would be irresponsible to pivot on. But sure. um, like, it's the idea of being, having, being agile, like really thinking about it that way, constantly, constantly changing. I think we grew up in a place where, at least for me, like, 
it felt like you pretty much had to like put a flag in the ground and like when we were younger, right? Like you're going out and you're buying a TV commercial and you have no data on the response. And so you just go and hope that you, you know, here's a million dollars. I hope it works. Yes. It's not like, it's not like that anymore. Like you can go and make an ad and run $50 on it to exactly who you want and then decide whether or not it resonated. Look at the comments <laughs> and do some of those things. And so I, I use, uh, I use LinkedIn a lot to, yeah. to, understand how people are responding like i get hundreds of comments yeah it gives me a lot of good insights what do you believe in your opinion are, are just really effective user-friendly tools that are going to help them begin their first marketing campaign their first marketing effort their first kind of jump into evaluating what the customers want and what the customers potentially don't want the easiest thing that no that very few people do this comes from the background of being upstream focused first mm -hmm. where we didn't have a product to market so i had to figure out what people <laughs> wanted and so i went and talked to them and i understood what they said and from that activity you should be able to build messaging around it before you launch mm -hmm. most companies do it in most companies now do it in reverse they launch a they have a technology or product they launch it and then they try and figure out where it fits from there Hmm. Most, you know, if you did it a different way and you figured out what the market needed and then figured out how to reverse engineer a solution, the best solution to that. Um, so to get back to your question, it's really just talk to customers mm -hmm. like that. That is the step. Um, and then from there, kind of like go. I don't think there are I don't think it's there's so situation dependent. I just don't think yeah. that there are like blanket tools that everybody needs. If you want to create video, there are video tools. If you want to do a yeah. podcast, there are podcast tools. Um, if you want to do, you know, a booth at a conference or a field marketing event in a bar, like there's, there's so many options. And so um, there's no, th there's no like one tool that I would recommend. <laughs> Where can uh, people find you and do you have anything you want them to listen to? Anything like that? Go ahead and uh, please let us know. Yeah. So, um, so LinkedIn's the easiest place to find me if you want. Just I would be super grateful if you followed them and um, got value from the content. So if you'd like to do that, feel free to follow there. And then um, if you're interested more about what we talked about today, episode 17 of our podcast called You Don't Need More Leads. Um, has been really resonating with a lot of people. I would highly recommend that you check that out. It's called the State of Demand Gen Podcast on Apple or Spotify. Chris, thank you so much for, for being on. I appreciate your time. Awesome, Rich. Thanks for having me, man. All right, that wraps up episode 45 of the Leadership Locker. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. If you got anything out of that, you know the deal. Please consider reviewing it, rating it, and just giving me feedback, whether that's via email or LinkedIn. Uh, I do right now teach LinkedIn webinars on LinkedIn Live, 8 p.m. Easterns on Tuesdays and Thursdays if you want a lot of the knowledge that I have to share. Otherwise, you all be well. See you next week.